Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, we have Leanne Vogel, an awesome author. You can go to healthfulpursuit.com to find books, meal plans, and great books like The Keto Diet, The Keto Diet Cookbook, and now something all of us women have been waiting for, her new book that comes out tomorrow called Keto for Women, a three-step guide to uncovering boundless energy and your happy weight. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Elle. This is great. This book is so awesome. I love the layout. The way you have done it aesthetically and visually really resonates with the information. It's so difficult sometimes reading some books and trying to understand concepts. And you achieve that so well through writing and also through visual, beautiful visuals. So I just, wonderful book. Wow, thank you. I've always dreamt of writing a book like this, and I just can't believe that it's finally here. And it's been a labor of love over the last five and a half years of eating keto and doing very, very wrong things and doing very, very right things and learning from myself and my clients and the people that I work with. It's just been great. So it's kind of a pinch me moment. Yeah. So there's so many things we can get into in this book, but let's start off with, um, tell us why eating fat is important hormonally for women and cholesterol and why this is important that even if someone's not willing to go keto, that if they're on this low fat paradigm, they might need to rethink it. Yeah. So I think especially for me, um, I came from a history of amenorrhea. I experienced um, no period for eight years. And so for me, it was really important as I was starting to eat more fat that I actually increased my cholesterol because I had very, very low cholesterol. And I like to think of cholesterol and our hormones, our whole entire um, system as being like an umbrella. And if you think of an umbrella, there's a really tippy top part that kind of connects all the metal shafts that go through the umbrella. And that tippy top part is your cholesterol. And without that little part, the whole umbrella would fall apart. And that's really how I envision our hormones and our entire body as being so um, reliant on cholesterol. And so whether you have imbalanced hormones, whether they be low or high, cholesterol really is at the core of our success um, hormonally. And so if you think about the ketogenic diet, there are quote unquote good foods and bad foods to gravitate toward. And that's why in my book and my programs and everything that I put out there, I really focus on the quality of foods that we're eating on our ketogenic diet. And that can influence whether or not that tippy top of the umbrella does a really good job of things and a not so good job at things. And another piece to keto that's important specifically for women and eating more fat is cortisol balancing. Um, for myself personally, and a lot of women, we get to keto kind of at the end of the road in our dietary um, journey where we've tried everything. We've done the vegan thing. We've done the raw vegan thing. We've eaten every other day or intermittent <laughs> fasted and then added paleo in there and then tried, you know, um, whole food dieting and it just nothing really worked. And we kind of get to this space where it's like, okay, well, I guess I can try to eat bacon and mayo for 30 days and see what happens. <laughs> and so a lot of us are coming at it completely metabolically inefficient. And so a lot of women will go keto, 
And, um, because the ketogenic diet relies so heavily, it's, I I like to think of it like an endocrine based diet where in order to be successful in keto, we need balanced hormones. And in order to have balanced hormones, we, um, probably need to look at our metabolism and making sure that our metabolism is balanced. So what keto can do is because it's an endocrine based diet, all of a sudden women are like, oh my gosh, my period is weird. And I'm dealing with hormonal acne. And I really like to think of keto as like, unveiling all these imbalances inside so we can work at each little piece one-on-one. And so when it comes to dietary stress and the stress we put on our bodies by not eating enough specifically or not eating the right foods for our bodies, we can deal with a lot of um, increase in our cortisol due to dietary stress. So that's another piece to it. And the last piece is by eating enough fat where, you know, I, I know that I was that woman, um, a low, a low fat vegan <laughs> who, who prided herself on adding water and vinegar to my salads. Mm. And I even have some recipes still on my blog that I don't want to remove just cause it shows like the progression of my journey, um, where I prided my, uh, you know, I was, uh, held so much pride for myself in adding water to hummus and thinking that that was a good thing. But the really, really important thing and something that we often forget that's so simple is that our fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, E, and K, we need fat in order to absorb these nutrients. And so by making sure that we're having enough fat, not only are we making sure that our um, our levels go up in our essential vitamins, um, but we're also ensuring that our brain functions differently. And usually around three months into the ketogenic journey, a lot of women kind of step back and ask themselves like, what am I doing here? Like, who am I? What do I want out of life? And I really, really, truly think that's just because they're eating more fat. Their brain is working in a different way. Their insulin is regulating and they're able to ask themselves these difficult questions that they maybe didn't have time for or that because their blood sugar was so imbalanced, they weren't working on. So those are some of the things that I see in contributing uh, and what, what women experience on their ketogenic diet and why it's important to make sure that we're eating enough fat, whether we're keto or paleo or vegan or whatever. Really well said. And, you know, on the note of um, basically, I mean, you mentioned it too, you know, the surprising thing is like, oh, you, you, you actually, and we'll get into like what keto is for those out there who need a intro to that, but you actually get full from eating a meal when you're keto. And so when you're not food obsessed, as you know, and I know, and you become fat adapted, and then if you go to a deeper level and you're a low carb uh, moving into to, to keto, you're so satiated that you actually then have time because you're not distracted by not only the obsessive thoughts about food and when you're going to eat next, but constantly going to the fridge every couple of minutes and taking a bite of something over the course of hours. That's distracting you from other things that now you're addressing. So I can absolutely see, especially when someone goes down the road of taking care of oneself too, there's there's a growth of self-love and things like that that can hit people hard in a good way, right? But maybe a bittersweet way. So these are these are all positive things. Um, I for those that aren't really familiar, or they're like, I just don't totally understand what keto is. Can you give us a, a snapshot? Yeah, totally. So keto is a low carb, high fat diet where we eat low enough carb. And notice how I said low enough (laughs) that we can switch into a fat burning state. And so I see it as kind of two pathways. You can be glucose fueled, which has thousands of diets associated to it. Basically every eating style that you've had up until this point of being introduced to keto was a glucose burning or a form of glucose burning. But with a ketogenic diet, um, we are 
eating enough fat and lower enough carbohydrate and moderate protein-ish to um, flip the switch on our metabolism so that we are burning fat as fuel instead of carbohydrates or rather glucose as fuel. Now, there, there are a lot of camps out there, and I know when keto first got kind of big and it was starting to grow about five and a half, six years ago, um, way, way back. <laughs> I mean, a lot has changed since then. Um, there was really only one way to do it. And a bunch of people were like, just eat low carb, high fat, moderate protein. You'll get into ketosis. You'll stay there. You're welcome forever. 20 grams of carbs forever and you'll be fine. But as I, as a woman started eating this way, I just realized that there needed to be some shifts. And then when I started to think of keto versus glucose burning, I thought like, I mean, there have to be more ways to do this than just the one way, just like glucose burning. So that's really the ketogenic diet in a nutshell and, and kind of what we're after. But there are many, many, many ways to achieve this state. And it's worth going down the road to get there, even if you don't stay there or you just try it. I believe everyone should, should check this out because the, the mental benefits and everything else that we always talk about are amazing, not to mention anti-inflammatory. And oh my gosh, it's used in so many therapeutic models like epilepsy and cancer and um, brain tumors and traumatic brain injuries. So keto is not just for us getting fat adapted. It's also in use in so many incredible therapies out there. Um, I love that you drop in, uh, you know, you really dispel a lot of myths in your book, which is great. And I want to talk about a few of those. Uh, you drop some truth bombs in the, uh, <laughs> in the sidebars, which I love. And one is something very interesting about babies in keto after birth. Can you t tell us about that? Yeah. So while you are pregnant, um, you know, maybe you're in your second trimester, third trimester, you're actually generating ketones to um, pass off to your child. And when your baby is born, they're actually in ketosis um, the majority of time. Because if you think about it, your breast milk is super high fat. It's got protein. It's got a little bit of sugar, but it's like full-blown ketogenic milk. It's 50% saturated fat, I think. Exactly. Yeah. So if you think about this, and it's so fascinating when I started pulling together all the research and the data of like, your baby is in ketosis. Like for a large majority of, of their growth time is like, it's keto. And, you know, if I think back to my childhood and I was, um, I really struggled as a baby, and so my parents gave me wheat pablum at a very young age, and I still struggle with my immune system, things like that, and I think that's why it's so, so important if women can breastfeed that we do that because when I found that stat, I was like, oh my gosh, babies are in ketosis, so why are we so why are we so worried about this? I know that I've chatted with various people that are just really concerned about um, their babies and ketosis and um, if they should be eating keto when they're breastfeeding. I think if I were to get pregnant tomorrow, I would continue to eat like this and I would um, introduce my children to all the different types of fats and yummy things that you could eat. But yeah, I thought that was pretty fascinating. You know, and on that note too, so the keto gains guys, Louis Villasenor and Tyler Cartwright have had some interesting feedback from people they've coached who are keto breastfeeding and they or some or regardless, it doesn't matter if they were keto and, and they were having issues with producing enough milk. And when they 
were using electrolytes, uh, they were able to literally go from like a quarter of a cup to like two full cups. So if anyone's having trouble with that, or that's a nuance, you might want to look into the keto gains guys and some of these amazing photos even of women who have sent them the difference in just really upping their mineral electrolyte, uh, situation. And it's like a tenfold increase in breast milk. So I just, I just learned that from those guys. Um, and I wanted to throw that out there since we were on that topic. Um, the, the other thing I want to uh, throw out is thyroid. You you do a great job of of describing it, and I without reading directly from the book, but basically what uh, for those of you who understand heard me talk about the thyroid, a lot of people are always like, is keto good for thyroid, or, or keto lowers T three, or you know keto's bad. First of all, it's not. Let's just start there. But one of the things that Leanne mentions, which is true, and I want to highlight, is that you know it's it's. Well, it's not necessarily a bad thing, and I want to explain why, which is when you become more metabolically efficient and then therefore become calorically efficient, you also become what I call T3 efficient. So for example, mm. I mentioned him before, but Tony Federico, he's worked for Paleo Magazine in the past. He's written books. He's, he's in our space, and he does not have a thyroid gland at all, and he's on thyroid hormone replacement. And his T3, for someone who's on replacement, is like a point or two below the mid-range, where normally that would not be pleasant for someone who is, quote, optimized on thyroid hormone replacement. But for him, it is because he's operating at a less amount of T3, but he's not hypothyroid. So in the absence of symptoms and temps, just because T3 goes down a bit is not a bad thing. If you look at a blood result, but you don't have a symptom, you're probably fine unless symptoms start to creep up. So keto does not ruin thyroid. And then the other part of that, Leanne, and and you know this, you said this before, people who sometimes go to keto are at their wit's end. And if you haven't been able to lose weight by any other modality, and then you go to keto and you start gaining weight, either you're doing something wrong or there is an underlying metabolic situation happening that's preventing you from getting into keto. And when you're hypo, you kind of can't get into keto. And when you're hyper, you can't get into keto because hyper, as you mentioned, T3, low T3 is actually anti-catabolic and too much T3 is catabolic. So like when bodybuilders jam themselves with T3 to burn fat, they have to offset it because of the catabolic nature. I'm not sure what kind of chemicals they offset it with, who God knows who, what they're doing. Um, so I just wanted to, to, to share that because you mentioned in your book and there's nothing wrong with that if just a blood level dropped, but you might've also come to keto already being hypo and then claiming it got, please don't blame keto mm-hmm. for, for that. So I just want to clear that up because I'm often asked about this and you, you be beautifully explained it. And I wanted to just highlight sort of some of the underlying reasons why that's true and nothing to fear. And again, if anyone's worried, you can literally take your own temperature and do some diagnostics to see if there's something off with your thyroid. And then, like you said, there's a period of an adjustment that you might have to go through. Um, and in a lot of ways, probably some detox, like you said, you might get a little acne or like, you know, there might be some changes, but you know, it, it doesn't take long to get over that hump. Um, so I just, I love that description. I also love, and I want you to expound on a couple of these you kind of associate some of the cravings with certain foods with nutrients and what might be great options. Like, for example, you mentioned chocolate for magnesium. And I had known about that. That's why a lot of women crave chocolate before their period because they're deficient. Can you touch on a couple of the others? Because that's kind of interesting and it would be good to give people those little substitutes to kind of go to. The cheese one really got me though. That surprised me. Yeah. The fact that cheese has a protein in it that makes you just... (sighs) want affection. And I find like for myself, especially now I've been dairy free for 
gosh, I couldn't even tell you. I mean, I did start to incorporate some hard cheeses a couple of weeks ago, and now I'm dealing with this like autoimmune flare up. <laughs> so sometimes so you've learned your lesson. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It takes some time to like get a handle on it, but especially with cheese, cheese is a big one where if you're craving cheese, take a step back and look if you're lacking connection today or in the last week. And oftentimes if I just hug my husband or get cuddly with my dogs and really take some time to like reconnect to myself, it can go a really, really long way. Now, if you're, if, if the connection isn't working specifically with cheese, other things you could try are like fatty fish. That's been really big for me too. Um, Chocolate, like you said, magnesium. Um, sometimes you can supplement with magnesium, or you could just have things like leafy greens, seeds, nuts. Um, you also have, if you're craving sweets, it could be that you're low in um, phosphorus, sulfur, uh, carbon. Did I miss one? Tryptophan, chromium. Um, and so having things like fresh fruits, um, sweet potato, spinach, um, those things could be really helpful. Uh, there's also salt. If you're craving salt, it could be that you just need more salt, especially if you're on a ketogenic diet, like just load up on the salt. Um, I always find like, even after eating this way for five and a half years, I still am trying to train myself to just eat more salt. Um, because and, and to interject, can you highlight why people in keto do need to up salt yeah. and why that's one of the hacks or slash, you know, pitfalls that might be with someone who's not educated? Totally. So when we start eating keto, um, we lose a lot of water weight. Generally, when you start your ketogenic diet, you can expect to lose anywhere from five to 20 pounds in the first week or two weeks just with water. And that's because whenever we have, um, whenever we consume a carbohydrate, it requires water and it really, think of the carbohydrate as attaching to the water and the water will remain there as the carbohydrate or rather glucose or glycogen is processed through the body. So when we remove that glycogen from our body, which is how carbohydrates are stored in the body, then all of a sudden we don't need all that water. So that water goes, but along with it go our electrolytes. And that's probably why, you know, with breastfeeding mamas, how the electrolyte balance and making sure that you're supplementing with enough electrolytes probably help milk supply. And that's really great. I'm definitely going to do more research on that later. Um, and so with keto, if you're ever feeling flat or just not feeling right, nine times out of 10, it's the fact that your electrolytes are imbalanced. And I like to recommend something like a Redmond sea salt. Um, I used to- I love that salt. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good and it feels natural and you can eat a whole bunch of it and it doesn't feel too much. And now I've become quite a salt snob. Like I can tell when a salt is like no good and when it's when it's subpar and when it's a Redmond sea salt. So I highly recommend using that. And when I first started off, I would get a little mason jar and I would put about two teaspoons of salt in it a day. And I would make sure that I added it to my food. Um, I drink water with salt in it. I have a charcoal lemonade that I make that's like charcoal and lemon juice and salt. Um, and so you don't have to add the charcoal. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Um, but that can be really beneficial. And so salt is really important because when it's a good salt, like Redmond sea salt, it's going to have a good balance for your electrolytes. And you can also add things like fresh lemon juice to boost it up more. But if you're finding like you're still craving salt, it could be also a sign of adrenal dysfunction or the fact that you need to eat more fatty fish, um, seeds, nuts. Um, but also to kind of step back from this, I think sometimes we hyperanalyze our salts and we're like, oh my gosh, I'm craving salt. I need to to go to the store and buy all the salmon and eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. 
maybe you just need more salt. Or if you're craving coffee, like maybe you just want to have coffee with a friend. Or if you're craving carbonated drinks, maybe you just need to drink a carbonated drink. And so I think sometimes if we're, if we're hyper analyzing ourselves, we can go crazy with all these rules of like, oh, but she said, if I'm craving chocolate, I shouldn't have chocolate and I should get a magnesium supplement. (laughs) It's just, it's, it's a good way to pinpoint what might be happening. If you crave chocolate and you have chocolate one night and then the next day you crave chocolate and you're like, okay, well, I'll have some more chocolate. And the next day you're craving chocolate. It's like, okay, there's clearly something going on here. Maybe I should just have some magnesium or like pump up my, um, smoothie in the morning with a ton of greens and see if that helps. So that can just be a good indication of imbalances or things that your body needs that you're maybe not clear on. When it comes down to sort of details, people, again, not being too obsessed with tracking macros, but in order for us to kind of understand what a day might look like, especially for women, we're talking, you know, maybe if you're sedentary, maybe 1200 and you're a small person, but somewhere maybe let's just start with 1500 calories a day. Okay. For just as a baseline. Um, when we're looking at that, then how much of that, you know, What's the breakdown? Oh my goodness. You're going to make me do math on the fly. Okay. <laughs> well, not on the fly, but I mean, well, not exactly, but how, how should we look at that? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Or, or what does that look like? Like, oh, 45 grams of protein. So this, okay, that part of salmon, I got that part with the protein. Now what do I need to think about for the rest of the Yeah. Day? Okay. So what I like to do, I mean, you can look at macros. If you're new to this game and you're like, I don't even know what a macro is and how much protein I should be eating. Um, what I like to start off with is a simple 80% fat, 15% protein and 5% carb. And that's really just like the basis of how you want to do things. And, um, we can maybe talk about how to adjust it with your cycle a little bit later if we want to get into that. Um, but just like to start off 80% fat, 15% protein, 5% carbs. So we have to understand that fat is nine calories per gram and protein is four calories per gram. And carbohydrates are four calories per gram. So if we look at, and I'm sure this calculation is in my book, but I'll just do it really quick. Um, So we're looking at about 1,200 calories just in fat alone. So if we divide that by nine, we're going to have 133 grams of fat in a day that we're going to aim for. And that's pretty basic. Like when I started my ketogenic diet, I was eating a lot more. I was working out. So I was around, gosh, I don't even remember, anywhere between 1,800 to 2,500 calories a day. And so my fat intake was around the 200 gram mark at any given time, but it really depends. Now, your fat macro is really where you're going to be playing up and down as you start to play around with keto. Because like, I remember when I first started 133 grams of fat. Are you kidding me? Coming from 10 grams of fat, how do I even eat that much? And so it's going to take you a little while to get in the groove of like what 133 grams of fat even looks like. And so if we then take our 1500 calories and multiply it by our 15%, that's 225 calories of protein divided by four. That's 56-ish grams of protein. Now this is just um, a starting point. And I always like to work with grams as opposed to percentages. I just like thinking. I agree. It's so much more tangible. I can, I can count it. I can look it up. I don't, I don't want to do exactly. Totally. (laughs) And so then if we look at our carbohydrates, so we have 1500 calories overall from the day, 
we're going to divide that or we're going to multiply that by our 5%. That's 75 calories of carbohydrates divided by four. So that's about 19 grams of carbs. Now, here's where it gets a little bit tricky and where some people will say something different and other people will say different from them is like, I consider that 19 grams of carbs as being net carbohydrates. Um, Ah, so you do subtract. I do. do. As long as I, and I mean, it depends if you have been diagnosed with cancer and your doctor has said, I want you on a strict ketogenic protocol, you're going to treat 19 grams as all of the carbs you will eat regardless of fiber probably. But if you're just like a lady trying to make it in this world and feel better, I, (laughs) I just like to look at it as which is everybody. Which is basically We're all everybody, right? Like we don't need to be that strict with our eating style. And especially when you're first getting started, like when I first started keto, I was upwards of 400 grams of carbs a day. Like how, how you could go from 400 grams to 20. You're, you're, you're in, su- that was in such a violation of the primal blueprint pyramid for carbs. <laughs> That's like our, our max is like 150. So. Oh yeah, just, <laughs> unless you're unless you're an NBA pro athlete, I don't know. <laughs> but, well, I was vegan, so I mean, what else is like? Oh, eat? Well, okay. <laughs> so so I like to think of it as net. So as long as you're at 19 grams of net carbohydrates, and what I mean by that is if you take all your carbohydrates, let's just say your goal is 20 grams, and you want to have 30 grams of fiber then really you're eating 50 grams of total carbohydrates. But when you take away that 30 grams of of fiber, you're only eating 20 grams of net carbohydrates. So that just ensures that we're eating enough fiber because I find when people transition to keto, they end up eating bacon and mayo for the first 30 days. And then they're like, I'm so bunged up. I've been constipated or on the opposite. I've had diarrhea for the last 30 days. What am I doing wrong? And I look at their food and I'm like, well, all you've been eating is burgers and cheese and bacon and mayo. So you want to add some kale to that maybe? So I like to go at that route when it comes to macros. And if you're not like a macro counter and like 133 grams of fat scares you and 56 grams of protein is like, what the what? I like to like simplify it even more and just look down on my plate And just for breakfast, lunch, dinner, or if you're fasting for lunch and dinner or your first meal and your second meal of the day, if you imagine all the fat in little tablespoons lined up against the side of your plate, kind of going in a little circle across your plate, and that makes up about half of your plate, and then quarter of your plate in protein and a quarter of your plate in like carbs like spinach, kale, cucumber, celery, you'll probably be fine. (laughs) So that's a good way to just get started if you're more of a visual visual person. And there's just so much learning when you're adjusting to something like this to like get too stressed out about the numbers can just make it so that you actually can't become ketogenic because you're so stressed and it's kicking you out of keto every time. Yeah. And you know, people will We'll do, you know, they'll go again. We're we're trying to prevent people from just kind of jumping, going to the CVS, buying like pea sticks, and you know, going by this this model. I think you and I would both agree that hey, unless there's a medical reason where you need to go strict keto immediately, it might be better to start cleaning out the cupboard, getting fat adapted, doing a low carb, moderate protein, high fat, and then get into like keto, you know, graduate if you can, because it's going to be an easier process, probably, you know, easier to slide into. Um, and there's a lot of learning that goes along the way about oneself and, and everything else. Also too, I want to say there are times you might go on a three hour hike and you might crave extra protein or extra fat. And you know what? 
live your life. Like, don't get to a calculator. You know, that's what I say. And so it becomes intuitive after a while. You start to realize what you need, you know what I mean? And, and, and that your cravings are more directly on point than they are skewed because it's coming from this anti-inflammatory platform you've built. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. I'm so happy you mentioned too the stages and that's really how I set up the book. I didn't want to be like, bah, here are all the things you need to do right away. But it's like, first, let's understand how being fat fueled works, understand how your body works, and then understand that because you're female, your body needs different things than a male would would need. And then part two goes through the three steps of becoming fat fueled. So first you're going to figure out what to eat, how to eat it and how to make it, and then getting your body into ketosis and then customizing your fat fueled life to even further understanding, like adjusting for your cycle and those sorts of things. Let's get into that. Let's get into the adjusting for the cycle. So what have you heard from people? What's your personal experience on what hacks need to happen? When? Yeah. Okay. So when I discovered that we need different things in our cycle, now I'm speaking to women that are still um, ovulating, menstruating, or should be at their age. So if you have amenorrhea, you can still follow this protocol. If you have PCOS and your uh, cycle is a little bit off, but if you have, uh, if you've experienced menopause, it's going to be a little bit different for you. So first off, if you're still having a cycle or you should be having a cycle, days one to five, and if you have amenorrhea, and you have no idea what day one is or day 15 is because you haven't had a period in so long, just pick a time in your calendar, preferably day one at the full moon or the new moon. Just look up a moon calendar and choose that day and make it your day one. Um, So day one to five, this is during your period. So if your period is four days, then it's four days. If it's eight days, then it's eight days. You just practice high protein. And I find that women respond best to having a higher protein protocol during their period. Um, now are, that's now usually are you saying the, just higher protein than the general keto? So just a little exactly. bit. Okay. So still following yeah. the whole model, but just upping the protein. Exactly. So you're, you're probably going to gravitate toward more protein at this point where instead of having, you know, a bunch of kale on your plate, you're like, Oh, I just really want more ground beef. And it's still a pretty high amount of fat that you're going to be intaking, but it's going to be higher protein than your normal ketogenic protocol. So you might be at 25% protein or 30% protein for those couple of days while you're on your period. Now, as soon as your period ends, this is usually days set day six in your cycle to two days before ovulation. So this is days six to 11. Now you'll have to adjust it depending on when you ovulate, but two days before ovulation. So these like five ish days, you're eating the standard ketogenic protocol. So like we talked about that 80% fat, 15% protein, 5% carb. No, no other adjustments you really need to make. This is also probably when your training is going to be like on point where you're going to have lots of energy. Your skin is going to start to glow there at the end because you're just about at ovulation. And this is like the magic time. I, I love these five days in my cycle because I feel like on top of the world, my energy is on point. I'm eating low carb. I, I'm sleeping really good. And so you really don't need to worry about much during that time. Now, two days before ovulation, ovulation itself and two days after. So this is days 12 to 16 of your cycle. You may find that you need, um, more fruit. 
these are the days where women come to me and they're like, Leanne, I was just like, I was craving an apple last night. So I just like, I had a fatty tea and I just went to bed. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, just have the apple. That's it's what totally- I say. I'm always like, sometimes you just need to eat an apple. Like eat it. <laughs> just, just eat the apple. And so for this, this is where uh, my carb up strategy comes into play. And oh my gosh, I remember when I first started talking about carb ups way, way back in 2014 and everyone was like, Leanne, no, this is bad. You're crazy. And now people are actually doing it and they're, they're benefiting from it, especially women, um, maybe women with thyroid imbalances or adrenal dysfunction, um, or they just need a little bit more pep in their step during those cycle days. Um, this is when you're going to gravitate toward things like apples, um, garlic, grapefruit, oranges, parsley, tomato, broccoli. These are high glutathione, like they're glutathione rich foods. And this is what your body usually craves during that time. You're talking about still the two days before and two days after ovulation, right? Exactly. Yep. Yep. And so during this time you want to add in the carbs to your dinner and take out some of the fat. That's all. Like think of it as a teeter totter. If I'm adding an apple in, I'm just going to take out like what's an apple, like a hundred or so calories. One of those small apples, just take out a tablespoon of coconut oil and have that with your dinner. So that's cycle days 12 to 16 and then cycle day 17. So the third day following ovulation to the last day of your cycle, right before your period, you're probably going to want more starchy carbohydrates. So not every night, but just when you need it, maybe it's every third night, maybe you time it with your lifts. So if you lifted that morning, maybe you're having a carb up at night, you're just taking out some of the fat in your meal and adding things like cassava, sweet potatoes, plantains, potatoes. Um, And a lot of women are concerned like, oh, this will get me out of ketosis. Well, no, if you've been practicing a ketogenic diet for a little while, your body starts to understand that fat is your preferred fuel. And by having a touch of carbohydrates, you're just going to have a bit of those carbohydrates. Your body's going to burn through it and go back to fat burning. It'd be like the same thing as if you'd been eating glucose fueled for, I don't know, 30 years and you had, I don't know, a fatty coffee and thought, oh my gosh, now I'm in ketosis. No, like it, it takes your body some time to adjust. And so we want to become metabolically efficient. So when we do have a touch of carbs timed with our cycle, if we're really working on hormone regulation, that we can benefit from them, have a better sleep. Our serotonin is serotonin is boosted, our leptin is reset, um, and we can go on with our lives and just have a normal life where we have carbs sometimes and not beat ourselves <laughs> up over it. We are allowed, allowed carbs sometimes. Um, you know, it's funny when people say, oh, I got kicked out of ketosis. It's what you're talking about, not just metabolic efficiency, but what we know all of us talk about, and you know, and Mark and Rob and everyone else has been preaching, which is the flexibility. When you are already fat adapted and then you go keto, if you waver, you go in and out, it's not painful. It's not painful at all. There's no, oh my God, I kicked out of ketosis and I feel like a wreck today. You'd have to really do a blowout to screw yourself up there. (laughs) You know what I mean? You'd have to be like, I ate donuts for three days. I mean, you'd have to really, in order to kind of feel anything that would be negative. So again, it's great. Like we talked about, learn the stuff, you know, a bunch of asparagus cooked is 20 grams of carbs. A lot of people don't know that, you know, learn about the stuff and then relax, you know? Eye it. Start to be more intuitive. That's really where we want to be. And there are some people where tracking really helps them, and I get that. But I guess both yeah. of us are saying, hey, at the end of the day, we want to get away from that and, and living more of a normal life where we're eyeing this stuff and following our intuition. 
Exactly. Totally. And it makes for a normal life, like, you know, to be able to have that flexibility and you're right. Like you have to really blow out your eating style in order to feel like, I remember the first time I did a carb up and I got a bunch of cupcakes and I was just curious, like if I do a lift and then I eat a bunch of cupcakes, how will I feel the next day? And my body felt okay-ish and my muscle definition was better, but my digestion was affected for an entire week. My skin broke out, my brain was really foggy. So I'm like, okay, noted. And I mean, I always think like, what's the worst that can happen? I'm going to see what that does. Okay. That wasn't so great. But if I have white rice, what happens then? Okay. My scalp got itchy noted. And so you're constantly just like learning and bending and flexing, but I agree with you. It's not this like dangerous thing where, um, all of a sudden you have a touch of carbs and you're way back at the beginning in Canada, we call it, um, snakes and ladders. It's like this game, um, where you take the ladders up and then the snake goes back. I think in the U S you guys call it shoots Shoots and and ladders. ladders. Yeah. Yeah. And so I always imagine like there was that one snake that took you all the way back to the beginning. Well, in keto, it's really not like that. It's just like, you're always like taking a ladder up, maybe taking a little snake down to the previous tile, but it's not like a game over reset all the way back to the beginning kind of thing. I just, uh, I love your work and I love the way you just broke things down for us. It's so important to hear things in practical terms and how to divide food and think about this because it's less intimidating now that you just went through all of these details with the cycle and also just in general, the breakdown. Um, I so appreciate you, you doing that with us because again, this is the kind of stuff where you listen to a podcast and then you're like, yeah, but give me something that, so I can wrap my head around this and percentages don't do it. <laughs> so, so thank you so much for that. Um, You have so much content and and great stuff on your website and you're very active on social media. Tell us how can we benefit from you other than your awesome books, which are all on Amazon. We will put everything in the show notes and please get your copy of Keto Woman, which comes out tomorrow. Um, But how can we work with you? How can we benefit from from your knowledge other than these books? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, keto for women is available tomorrow. And then also you can probably listen to my podcast. That's kind of like the thing that I'm most proud of outside of my books. I I'm the host of the keto diet podcast, super original. (laughs) Um, and that's where I have guests on. I talk solo. I talk about life as a keto woman, um, all sorts of different topics. I answer questions. It's really a, a guest generated show. So people just submit ideas and I just run with them. Um, so you can find more by going to keto diet podcast.com. And like you mentioned, L I'm pretty active on Instagram. I also live on a sailboat full time. So if you're looking for like pretty pictures of the tropics, sometimes <laughs> they're those, sometimes it's me doing boat yoga in the bilges. Um, so you can follow along at healthful pursuit. Um, and those are kind of like the main places. I also have a blog healthfulpursuit.com where I share a bunch of recipes. I have a bunch of YouTube videos that I did way back in the day when I lived in a house. Um, so you can watch those and there's over, I think 300 different videos. Um, and I also have a 12 week video training program called happy keto body, uh, developed with myself and a doctor all about how to regulate your body on a ketogenic diet specifically for women. So I've been a busy bee. It's amazing. (laughs) Where are you currently anchored or sailing? (laughs) Uh, We are currently doing a refit for our boat and we're in Fort Lauderdale. But when this goes live, uh, June 17th, we'll be crossing from Miami over to Panama. 
So uh, we'll be on the ocean. As you're listening to this, I'm somewhere on the ocean crossing over to Panama. <laughs> Not available to answer emails during this time. <laughs> no, no, there's no connection. Just us and the ocean and hopefully a couple of dolphins. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much for, uh, for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us and just your contribution uh, to the community. We just so appreciate having you. Thanks so much, Elle. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Hi, Brad Kearns here with something different than a stiff commercial script message. I want to give you an authentic endorsement for one of my favorite supplements of all time. It's called Adaptogenic Calm. used to be called Primal Calm, and the key ingredient in this formula is called Phosphatidylserine, or PS. And this agent has been shown in hundreds of studies to blunt the catabolic effects of the stress hormone cortisol in the bloodstream that's released in response to all forms of life stress, whether it's a series of difficult workouts, extensive jet travel, personal stress of any kind. We're constantly triggering the fight-or-flight mode in modern life. And when people say, hey, you should take a chill pill, this really is a chill pill. Because when you consume an appropriate amount of phosphatidylserine and the other supportive ingredients that have been known to have a calming effect on the central nervous system, things like magnesium, L-theanine, magnolia bark, and rhodiola, you will get a calming effect. It's not like a stimulant product that makes you feel more energy and have a better workout but instead this sort of takes the edge off of that stress buzz where you feel that foggy brain function maybe a little shaky and finally fried at the end of a busy stressful day this stuff will help you clear your bloodstream from those catabolic stress hormones before they can do the damage so i like to take significant quantities of it in and around stressful events such as jet travel or in those heavy training cycles when you're really pushing your body and trying so hard not to fall into that overtraining, overstress, foggy brain function spiral downward. That's right, phosphatidylserine has also been shown to enhance cognitive function. It's commonly used in Europe on cognitive decline patients. And you can make that connection between when you're frazzled and overstressed and how your brain doesn't work quite as well. So this is a brain function enhancing, stress hormone reducing, secret weapon, adaptogenic calm. Look for it on primalblueprint.com.